Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is cutting out the middleman with my friend, Mike Nervik. How's it going, Mike? Uh, very good. Very good. It's warm here in Chicago. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's warm and rainy, I can tell you, because we're always like a, we're a day behind. I'm in Detroit. Our weather comes from Chicago. Day behind. Day behind. Yeah. And so if, anytime I talk to Chicago people, which is about once a week, I always say, what's it doing over there? <laughs> so, yeah, but I got to think between Chicago and Detroit, there's like a million down lines. So the fact that we're able to have a conversation today is good. Anyway, um, Mike, please introduce yourself and your company. All right. I'm uh, Mike Nervik, uh, founder and CEO of Sleek Technologies. And uh, we're a company that's helping cut out the middleman for shippers and for truckers alike and connect them direct. Um, and that helps add uh, capacity for the shipper, uh, better data, and ultimately control over how their freight spend works. Very interesting. Very interesting. So you're based in Chicagoland? Yeah, we're based in, in Chicagoland, but we got people, uh, you know, spread out a little bit around the country, especially post COVID. We realized the opportunity to find talent everywhere. So do you have a whole bunch of remote people since COVID? Uh, yeah, we've got people in North Carolina, Nebraska, Michigan, Indiana, uh, as well as around here. That just gives you an excuse to travel when it gets cold in Chicagoland. <laughs> it's a good excuse. Um, so Mike, uh, Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And give us some career highlights after that. All right. I, I grew up in Minnesota, proud Richfield Spartan. Got to say that for the friends back All there. Right. And uh, went to school. Where's that at? Uh, that's the, it's, it's where Best Buy is headquartered. It's the first suburb south of Minneapolis. Okay. I've Everybody knows where Edina is. I've been to balmy Minneapolis. Yeah. <laughs> and when you fly in, you're pretty much in Richfield. You're right next door. They stole our golf course to to put in to expand the airport when I was a kid. <laughs> okay, uh, and then I went to school in Wisconsin, so I'm a Badger. All right. um, loved it there. I, I spent four years as a political science major and realized I didn't want to spend the rest of my life doing that. To good, good for you. Think about that, Mike. Instead of being in Chicago, you'd be stuck in Washington, being part of the problem. <laughs> I know. I know that would. <laughs> And during COVID, it became even more acute how much I didn't want to get caught. See, if you went, if you went to, if you went to Washington, then you could tell people like Mike Nervik what he can do. (laughs) Right. So, um, you study political science, then, then what? Uh, then I, I got done and, uh, and was just working up there and heard about, uh, an opportunity at, uh, the old American backhaulers down here. And uh, came down for my very first interview. And I remember sitting in the waiting area of the lobby and there was glass windows so you could see the floor. And uh, the excitement on the floor, people running around, making announcements on PAs, it it was very infectious. And uh, I knew it was for me pretty much that moment and uh, ended up working there for about five years. Before you get off, before you go to the next job. So how many people were at American Backhaulers when you got there? 
You know, I I get confused, but I remember my training class marked a milestone in terms of hundreds of people. And I think it was 300. It might have been 400. And so I know eventually backhaulers got bought by C.H. Robinson. But how how big did it get before it got bought? I I think we were about 600 by the time we got bought. So I I always think like I had... um, Gnome Frankel on here and we talked America, about American backhaulers. It's one of those companies that uh, seems to have changed the business. How did it change the business? What was different about American backhaulers? Uh, you know, there was just a, a real cool uh, vibe in the place. Everybody was young, hung out outside of the office. Um, and there was just, I'll go share a beer. <laughs> yeah. And a great amount of opportunity. You know, there was, it was a, it was a commission based business, kind of the Chicago brokerage model. It's really the American backhaulers brokerage model. So do they start it? They started, I mean, that's where, where it all began. And in fact, the company that I later founded AFN was always referred to as a baby backhauler. And there's a number of them out there. Right. And so, uh, so was Coyote, correct? Yep. Coyote command. Um, those were actually founded uh, by the main guys at American Backhaulers. There's a number who, of others. Who were the main guys at American Backhaulers? Uh, Paul Loeb, Jeff Silver. Um, Jeff Jeff was Coyote. Paul was yep. Command. Well, and I think he's a mastery now, and his sons each have, I think, Forager and uh, Molo, right? Yep, that's the same guy. And uh, and it was great. He's a Wolverine, by the way. Yes, he is a Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 they had a different way of doing business and then they got bought by um ch robinson ch robinson and did you stay uh for about two years stayed for about two or three years and uh and split out and founded a company called the afn it was originally advantage freight network turns out somebody thought that the word advantage in the transportation industry was already taken so we switched it to afn um, and had a good run there over 10 years, uh, grew it to close to 200 million. So you started that brokerage. company, did you start it with some, some friends or? Yep. Yep. There was originally three of us in 2004, it went down to two of us and, uh, in 2014, uh, it went to one of us and, and that's when I had sold and got out. Wow. So I know you grew that to pretty good sized company, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun building off of what we had learned at at uh, American Backhaulers, um, and being able, you know, we got we got into freight consolidation for customers. It was um, real opportunities to create value. It was fun. Well, when I was looking when we first started talking about uh, interviewing you, I thought, God, this guy started AFN. Why would he leave AFN to to go start another company? But when you left AFN, where'd you go? When I left AFN, I took a little bit of time off, uh, about two years, and spent most of that time trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what the industry needed, um, and saw, you know, some things that were happening. There, that was when um, I think it was Cargo Chief and Cargo Matic were raising money, um, yep. and uh, and Trucker Path, and they were, you know, I think. The forefront, forerunners, I guess would be the right, right term of the DFBs, digital freight brokerages, um, but didn't achieve the same scale that uh, that the current front runners have achieved. Right, right. Well, it, it, there, uh, Ben Gordon was uh, on my podcast not so long ago, 
and he he used the uh, phrase that uh, pioneers often end up with arrows in their back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so <laughs> I think uh, I think you've probably experienced some of that yourself. So um, so then you started Sleek when? Uh, Twenty sixteen. We began. We formed the company and began building uh, an MVP, a minimum viable product, to get ready and put out in the marketplace. Um, and then in 2017, we launched it with our first customer, a major paper company. Um, and it went really well. The drivers were able to come in, but it was originally built to work with uh, just owner operators, one guy, one truck, uh, mainly because they're the only people who uh, right. are a single point of which, contact. Which I think this brings us to our um, our topic today. So the topic today is cutting out the middleman. And what, who do you mean by, so that's what, that's what sleek technology's goal is, is to cut out the middleman. Who are the middlemen you're talking about? Yeah, well, there's a number of them, but for starters, freight brokers, I think they're taking the lion's share. Um, but there's the factoring companies that have their hands out with the truckers. 3PLs are in that same mix, I guess. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and sometimes even consultants and, and others like that can it, it all be in there and all different types are adding some sort of value. Um, but the question is, are they adding as much value as they're costing? Right. So, so you're, when you, so when you decided you had some time off, you had time, some, some time to th- uh, think about it. What was the hole that you saw in the market? Was it just this, is that there's a lot of middlemen getting rich and not necessarily adding the right value? Well, you know, it's, inter- it's interesting. Because you were a middleman for a while. <laughs> I, I was definitely a middleman. It, it treated me really well. It treated me really well. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. When I first met my wife, when I was working at American Backhaulers and she asked what I did, I, I, for three months, I didn't, didn't tell her exactly what I did because nobody knew what a freight right. broker was. And, and it's really, it, it was really hard to explain why somebody who needs to ship something couldn't just call a trucking company and right. get it moved. Right. Um, and I think that's the real void is the fact that it should be that simple. Um, and you should be able to have a relationship that you can count on. And in some cases, you know, on 50 to 60% of the business that works. Um, but on the other 40%, um, people are getting gouged or not the service that they deserve. And it's just, right. they're losing control. So what is it? What So a hundred percent of the freight that moves, what about, uh, is about 70% goes without freight brokers right now? Yeah. It, you know, it's, it, it's the, the numbers are really confusing that are published. Um, right. But what really sticks out in my mind, as, as opposed to looking at what goes by brokerage, is looking at trucker turnover. And a trucker turnover averages 100%. So on a good year, it might be 80%. On a bad year, it might be 250%, right? But what that 100% means is that that's how, how many times a driver quits and has to be replaced in a given year. Um, but we know that not every truck driver is quitting, right? So 50 to 60% of them are sticking around. So if, if we assume that 40% of them are turning over, uh, they're turning over two and a half times a year to get that number to 100, right? That tells us that that piece of freight, that that chunk of freight in the country is just, it's very irregular. And it's that's the stuff that's really tough to get dedicated um, not impossible. Uh, not all of it's impossible, at least. Right. 
but it's tough to get de- <clears throat> dedicated even to the standpoint that the trucking companies can't keep the drivers in the trucks. Right. Well, so so it is interesting to me when I, I I'm, was an automotive guy for many years, and I I can say this, I more or less ignored logistics until I was uh, doing value stream mapping, and I started realizing and that'd be like lean. So we're kind of mapping out the entire supply chain. And I remember how somebody said, well, we could look at, you know, switching out the trucking company. And I was, it was work with Chrysler. And I, they said, well, we could, we'll price that out and come back. And I remember they came back and said, oh yeah, we could save a million dollars a year on transportation. I was like, what? I mean, what, what investment? They're like, no investment, just different trucking company picks it up every day. And I was like, whoa. So then when the great meltdown happened in 08 and I lost my gig, <laughs> I really was for the first time looking and I ended up at a 3PL. Uh, that was also struggling. And I remember the owner was explaining to me that, yeah, these companies can't, shippers can't find trucking companies. I was like, what do you mean? I mean, just go online and just Google it, right? Trucking company, pick it up here, right? And he goes, it doesn't work that easily. And he was right. It didn't work that easily. And I I think to some extent, you know, people listening might say, if you're not in this business, might say, of course, I can just call a trucking company and tell them to pick up. They aren't necessarily going to pick up. They aren't interested in your one-off, <laughs> and their their trucks don't want to go some places. So there is a little more to it than just, you know, I have stuff and they have trucks, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the, the the bottom line is there's over a million and a quarter, one and a quarter million trucking companies out there, and uh, over a million of them have 50 or less trucks and that represents half the trucks that are on the road. Right. So it's, it's very, it's very complicated. And that explains why there's 20,000 or so and growing brokers out there. Um, and on top of that, the fact that, you know, in 2012, there was $1 billion broker. And today I think there's North, there's more than 10. Right. And you say that you think there's the number of brokers is growing. Yes. Yes, I think there's very little barrier to entry. Um, and uh, the numbers, at least the numbers as published by the DOT, um, show those numbers as growing. I think some of them might go stagnant. Right. And I'm not surprised they're growing, but I tell people, I and mean, this is no uh, no slam on anybody, but I tell them it's an industry that is being kind of changed by technologists like yourself. Well, you're probably, you're a hybrid, but a lot of the tech companies are coming in and saying we can do more with less. Um, I know I just had LoadSmart on. They said that's their model, more with less. We have a lot of technology people who are automating processes. So we should be able to do this business with less people going forward, less less brokers in the middle moving paperwork and, and slamming the phones. And um, But anyway, getting back to it. So when we talk about cutting out the middleman, so you guys are creating – You've created software that allows shippers to connect directly with carriers, correct? That's correct. And it ties right into their TMS. So they don't have to go into any new interface or anything like that. The reporting is a new interface, um, but they can go right in their TMS and, and it, it'll all run automated in the background. So so I know, I know some people are going to say, well, Freight brokers add value. For some companies, they're going to want to keep their freight brokers. They're going to want to keep their 3PLs. The relationships they have are working. Maybe they have dedicated headcount. They're doing different things. 
But for certain shippers, they say, no, I want that relationship directly with the carrier. What are some of the value? What are some of the advantages they see when they, when customers uh, go directly, when shippers go directly to um, carriers? What are the advantages they see? Well, for starters, it, it increases the pool of capacity. Um, and that's a big one. That equates to savings. So inside of a typical shipper, you know, the, even if you look at one as big as spending $100 million a year, they have 100 to 300 carriers in there. And so simple supply and demand tells you your price is going to be cheaper when you expand it wait, to hundreds of thousands. Wait, so so usually if I lost my broker, that means I would have access to fewer carriers. Why would I have access to more carriers? Um, the, this this software allows a shipper to uh, to to basically extend their TMS out to dispatchers, trucking dispatchers, desktops. Oh, and, you're connecting. <laughs> yeah, and even to the drivers in the cabs. Ah, so you guys are connecting them to, to maybe even more than a broker can and directly. Yep, yep. And it, it allows them to, in the short term, reduce the need for their brokers and limit it to the ones that they really consider to have a great relationship with. Um, and in the long run, uh, even eliminate them. Right. So, so you, you can work with uh, sleek technologies and still have your brokers if you want. Because again, some, I will say this, I worked at a little 3PL and we did mostly less than truckload. And I remember my first, one of my first things on my list is get rid of these freight brokers that I'm using for truckload. And I did, except for one that we could never beat his prices and never beat his service. And I was like, we are keeping that guy because there's nothing we, we can't beat. We can't yeah. beat him. You know, and the truck drivers have the same attitude. They, if we we went out and surveyed them, and uh, before we got started, and every single one of them says that they hate brokers. Um, but we also know that every single one of them probably has two or three really good relationships with brokers that they like, right. even though they right. they badmouth them in the big. So, so what's interesting about that is I talked to a lot of trucking companies myself, and one of the things um, when they say I want good, this is what I was hearing. I'm sure you've heard this. I want good shipper freight. I don't want it brokered. I don't want to go through a broker. And I always say, they're your sales team. You don't have a sales team. You have 30 trucks, great, but you never hired a sales guy. If you don't want to work with brokers, hire a sales team, get a website. (laughs) They don't want, and this isn't a criticism because it's a tough business, but I look at brokers as this the uh, contracted sales force that you're using because you don't have your own sales force. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's true in a lot. That, that's very true. That's very true. And and right. because of that, the prices fluctuate a lot more. Right. Right. For the carriers. So, so anyway, the first value when you get rid of the broker, and again, that's not for everybody, but for the people who want to get rid of their broker, the first value they see is uh, more, more, uh, more uh, capacity. Dur- d- yeah. Direct capacity, direct capacity. And, and, and through that savings north of 12%. Really? So that 12% is what the broker might have gotten it and for being the middleman, right? Yeah. On average, they're they're charging 15 to 20% today. And sometimes it'll get as high as 50%. Yeah. Yeah. That That's all changing too. Because I've had some people on the podcast talk about, yeah, it was always, I know uh, when I was in the 3PL space, I expected to see 30% margins. Um, and then... Um, I think now I hear 15%. 
I've heard 14%. Somebody said, yeah, it's below 14% on the bets of the public companies that have to report on it. Um, there's margin, margin compression because the technology guys are driving the cost per load down, right? Yeah, but on on average, it's still probably in that fifteen to twenty percent. There's, you know, it's in the doesn't in matter a what the average is. It, it, it could be you, right? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if the industry average is thirteen or ten or five. If if you're paying thirty, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Good point. So the first thing is um, access. They get more access to more uh, more capacity, which is which is good all by itself, especially in this market. Secondly, you said they saved like twelve percent. What's another advantage they see by going direct and using some software like yours? Um, the data that they're going to get back. So they're going to know who oh, the carriers actual are calling it, <laughs> what the price is, the real data. Um, and that's 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 typically tough for, for a shipper because all they can get access to is their own data and generic data. And uh, if their own data has all the markup in it, they don't really know. Am I overpaying? And every all the freight is unique, and some freight should cost more, some freight should cost less. Right. But they don't know how much more, how much less at this time. Right. I think if I worked, if I was uh, worked at a shipping company, and I worked at a company that shipped, and I was in charge of the logistics guy, um, I would want to know if rates went up like they did in this last year or so. I would want to know what percent was that market actually drove that versus what percent went in my broker's pocket, just because I think I would be asked that by my boss. And I, I should be able to give an answer that, yep, um, the price of the price of freight went up 30% or whatever it was. And they could, the quick answer, the question they could go is, are you sure that just didn't end up in our broker's pocket? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't have the data. <laughs> Yeah. And then I can see the boss saying, go get it. <laughs> but it's slippery data to get. It's slippery data to get. And so once and once you have that data and you have that additional capacity, I think the final piece of value is really in the control that that provides. So when you go to run your next annual bid, right. you now know, hey, there might be some other carriers out there that I already know about through this software. Um, or maybe there's some other, uh, you know, right. maybe some of the stuff that I thought was paper rates before, right. um, are actual realistic rates. Wait, so, so, so that I want to ask you first, I have a question about paper rates, but first I want to say this is you mentioned data. One of the things I always think about it with data, like you can get it from, there's a lot of companies will give you data. There's, uh, provide data for you for a price, but it's not always, um, as you said, apples to apples my freight might be slightly different than that right and so um unless it's your own data i always say it's it's good to have your data it's good to have some industry benchmarks but you know there's just a lot of old dirty data that just doesn't you know so it's it's not it's not what you want to start with and uh so it's nice to have your own data anyway speak to paper rates what first off what does that even mean <laughs> Well, a paper rate is is a true phenomena where uh, somebody bids and typically when the market's down or at least down relative to the future and prices something significantly cheaper than what they'll actually take it for when the time comes to move it. And so shippers have been burned by this a number of times and it's put them in a position where it's tough for them to to make any changes inside of their network. Because there's really no way to pre-qualify somebody and find out, are they going to haul the freight? 
Right. And so, Mike, so let, in, let's just say last January, uh, not this, going back to just before COVID, I could have given you rates. Let's just say I was a broker and I gave you rates that were good for a year. I don't know that that's going to happen. I didn't know COVID's going to happen and all of a sudden rates are going to skyrocket. So I gave you paper rates. I didn't mean to. I just, I couldn't help it. <laughs> I mean, I gave you a competitive rate. And I, and by the way, I don't know what's going to happen. Like if you said right now, we're in uh, July 2021. And you said, give me rates for the next year. I, I don't want to. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even want to give rates for 3%, three months. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just, it's not just brokers that end up giving paper rates, but that they are the ones that are Carriers best known too. for it. Yeah. Um, and it is tough to price it for a long time, but if you do have the asset and you have, if you have the underlying asset and the, and the driver, you, your rate should hold up a little tighter. generally speaking, right? Maybe, maybe today, you know, a year later, what, it, what a driver deserves to get paid is significantly higher for the risk that they took, you know, during COVID and for the fact that they can go to, you know, they can switch companies left and right. So you got to pay them something different to keep them. Um, but that's, you know, that's smaller percentages in the, in the difference per mile than 30%. Right. And, and I've talked to people who are not, they won't say this on the podcast, but they'll say it um, offline is, yeah, I give, I give rates lower than I would, than I could move the freight for. I've done that. They say, and the reason I do it is to win the freight and then to, then to actually do the work and then raise the price. And they say, it's not what I want to do, but they said, if, as long as shippers have this mentality of, I will go with the cheapest rate and I don't think there's a, a team or a truck behind it. It doesn't matter to me whether it's a 20 year old truck driven by a sketchy guy or a brand new truck that's main, <laughs> that it's maintained well and driven by a professional driver and a great company. Those are the same rate. Um, yeah. Are, well, and I think you, that right now you're getting to a really valid point when you talk about what, how the shippers are thinking in some cases. Um, and, and really there's shippers that are realizing, especially over the last 12 months, how strategic the transportation is, right? And it's it's beyond just truckload. They're having the same problems with stuff moving over the ocean, over the rail, right. oh, etc. Yeah. And and it's 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 an important part of the cost of goods sold, um, ultimately that we as consumers pay. But it, there's a, there needs to be a shift in how people think of transportation, right. and it's not it's not a necessary. It, it, I mean, it is a necess, it, it, it is absolutely necessary and. If you look at Walmart and you look at Amazon, they figured out how to make it a competitive advantage. And that's where the real opportunity is. Um, right. And too many people are thinking of it as simply a necessary evil. Yep. And I think also um, we have to get this is this this idea of alignment keeps coming up on my podcast. And I think it's really true is, you know, Mike, if I was working with you and you're my broker, and I was a shipper um, or you what are you the carrier? Um, I don't want you to lose money. You're you're my partner, but at the same time, I don't want you to rate me when the market gives you the opportunity to take advantage. It just seems to me it just needs to be uh, alignment, just fair, you know. And and I think there needs to be some transparency in the market that hasn't always been there. And you know, when in that alignment it traditionally hasn't been there, when the brokers get paid by spreads, right? I'm sure back in the day, you were American backhaulers and you heard somebody high five in their friend because they made a thousand dollars on a load. And you said, 
Oh yeah, good for you. Cause that's how you were compensated. There's, I mean, nothing wrong with that, but if you're the shipper on the other end and you said, I don't know if he made 200 or a thousand on that, right? Yep. 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 And, uh, you know, that's part of the excitement, uh, <laughs> of being a broker. We got to um, take that excitement out of <laughs> a different kind of excitement, please. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, uh, that the, in the short term, I don't know that the software is going to stop those last second ones that become super right, right. exciting like that. Um, but it, it's, it's more rampant than that, right? So to your point, they're putting in these prices where they can't move it. Sometimes they're doing that just to get access to the spot market and the spot markets where all the action happens. It's where the prices get inflated and where they overpay. Um, and, 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 you know, it's tricky if your network is 200 people, 200, 200 providers and a load goes into the spot market. It's, it's, it's only that same 200 providers that's allowed to bid on it. And it's usually a, a smaller subset. Let's call it 10 to 20 of them that are actually right. in a position to bid on it. So the, the, your demand to move that load exactly when it needs to move versus the supply of providers in your network becomes completely uh, infinitesimally small compared to what the overall market is. And that's where the markup comes. I've heard people say that if you don't get in the contract, if you don't have, if you don't give contract rates, you don't get to participate in the spot. And uh, yeah, again, we're creating perverse incentives. And what we want to do is we're going to get everybody aligned. So, you talked about when you cut out the middleman, one of the potential uh, opportunities is you gain a lot more capacity. You, you have actual data, actual your data that's no middleman in there. Um, you also have um, 12% savings. Blow that on food and shelter if you want. And then you have that direct relationship with the carrier, right? Yep. Yep. You have the opportunity to, uh, you know, because you have the data, you know, the price they're moving it for, you know, how they're performing and you know who they are, um, that you could go direct. You can put them into your network if you think that there's value in that and they can service at the right level. Um, but for the people that can only service something once every few weeks, you still get the advantage of that capacity. Nice. And then, so then, and then what this gives me is this overall control. So Mike, I'm going to summarize this and tell me if I miss something. So if I decide I'm going to use a software like yours and I'm going to cut out the middleman, which is the broker in the free PL and make it, so I have software that connects the TMS uh, directly to all these carriers, all to to their systems. And I get access to capacity. I save 12% on average. I have real good data. I have better control. And then I, I have this re- relationships directly with the carriers as opposed to no relationship. My, instead, of, instead of having the relationship with the broker and being arm's length from the uh, carrier, now I'm direct. Did I miss anything? <laughs> uh, that's a, yeah, that's, that's it. I think you've done a nice job. Uh, <laughs> Good. Well, give me some final thoughts on this topic because, again, it's, it, this is typically I talk to the transportation logistics people who are, you know, kind of those third party and or carriers. And I think it's interesting what you're doing here. Yeah. I, I think my final thought is, you know, shippers are, are doing everything they can in most cases to create control over their freight spend, running RFPs, putting in a TMS, um, you know, plugging in the people to run it, et cetera. But they end up losing a lot of control when it gets into the spot market and desk right. level people have to make decisions in a vacuum. 
um, being able to plug in software like this and uh, and configure it to the settings that you want helps take the amount of freight that ends up in that space out of there and really give you additional control so you can run your your freight more strategically. Very nice. Very nice. So we didn't talk too much about it, but um, how long does it take to implement like a software like yours? Uh, six to 10 weeks on average. That's not too bad. Um, yeah. But in a lot of cases, we're already integrated with the TMS providers. So Blue Jay, Mercury Gate, oh, okay. Oracle. So they're already connected to some. All right. Yep. Yep. And that helps speed it up. There's still some configuration process um, that takes place and, and, and really aligning it up for that particular shipper because they use their fields differently, but six to 10 weeks. Very nice. Very nice. So, um, Mike, before you go, tell us a little bit about um, what's going on over at Sleek Technologies. That's the name, Sleek Technologies, right? Yep, that is the name. So, who do you who's who do you serve? Who's your who's your sweet spot? Well, first of all, our sweet spot is one hundred percent shippers, so manufacturers, retailers, um, and potential distributors. Yep. yep. But going direct to them, um, because that's how you cut out the middleman, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> from there, you know, uh, people who are using a TMS is pretty ideal because it can integrate right into the system and be fully automated. Um, and so typically that means they're spending 10 million or more. But our real target is uh, companies that are spending 50 plus million dollars on their freight spend, because um, that's where it can really make a huge difference. Very nice, very nice. So, what else is going on over there? Do you have uh, any events? I know we're now we're kind of getting post COVID. Yeah, you going to any events? You're going to what is F three? The future of the festival of future freight or festival? Yep, yep. We're going to be up. at that freight waves uh, event. We, we're we're getting started on travel. We actually got to see a customer about a month ago, um, <laughs> which was nice to see somebody in person. Um, so, we're looking forward to the conferences kicking off. And I'm starting to see that there's some TMS user conferences uh, that are coming back online and being live again. Um, so it'll be very exciting nice. to get out. Very nice. Very nice. So if somebody wants to reach out and talk to someone from Sleek, how do we reach out and talk to someone? Uh, there's a couple of different ways. Um, it, you can call us direct, um, 312-319-5588. And uh, that will get you direct uh, into our team. Yep. Um, also go to the website, sleek-technologies.com. Right. I'll put a link to the show notes. In the show notes, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so someone can connect directly to you. And also, I'll put a link to uh, your website. Beautiful. Beautiful. I appreciate Excellent. it. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time. You've got a very interesting background, very interesting product. I think it's... um. It's an, this is every, every week I seem to talk to somebody who's got doing something brand new in the space. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's I mean, definitely I, an exciting time to be in freight. Yeah, yeah. And I keep thinking things were probably, uh, probably changed, you know, this much, very little over 40 years. And then all of a sudden, probably the last 15 years, it's an explosion of, uh, uh, differences. It's like we had, it's like, well, I guess the internet caused some of this. So congratulations on the new gig and uh, great job. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. 
You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.